Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you heard all the rave about the new Quick Grill located inside the Be Quick Chevron on Veterans Boulevard? Come visit Be Quick Chevron along with Quick Grill, Be Quick Food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store, wherever you are. What is up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. This is still the introless podcast, but I think I have a proposition for the people out there that want an intro. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Got a loaded show today. Uh, so playoff baseball, Ole Miss basketball had media day on Monday after we recorded uh, another playoff game tonight. It's really kind of the the like March and October, the two months that I would say sports fans salivate over. You got the NCAA tournament, of course. Um, in March, kind of winding down the NBA season as well. And then you've got football and playoff baseball here. So um, I guess you've hit one of the two peak months in the sports calendar. Uh, what's up? Not much, not much. That was fun last night. Like, no matter, I mean, if you weren't rooting for a team, uh, and I really wasn't, that, that, that was fun. Uh, that's what, you know, October baseball is all about, too. Yeah, I mean, it's a, di- a playoff baseball is a different sport. There's very few sports on earth if any baseball may be the only one where when you turn to the playoff season it really becomes an entirely different sport you could argue the nba a little bit because obviously the the playoffs get way more physical defense matters a lot more um having depth matters really a lot less i would say in the playoffs in the nba just because you know I mean, last four minutes of a game, it's kind of your star power on star power type stuff. But baseball, you really just kind of change the entire way you play a game. I mean, it's pitched differently. You saw that last night. I know the Woodruff had the injury thing, but teams do that regardless of injury with regards to yanking guys after three, four innings. You know, it, it's it's managed differently. I mean, and just overall, beside from the strategic part, when you take away, like, the tomorrows in baseball and, like, the ninth inning literally means the end of your season or it means you're getting closer to the end of your season, like, it changes how everything is looked at and how everything's done. Yeah, when in, in your playoff season, base, you know, you base odds off, you know, a 162-game season, but last night you're basing odds off of, you know, nine innings. Um, and I hated last night really kind of for the Brewers because they had a really good plan. And, and their plan was working to, I mean, exactly how they wanted it to go. And it's just one of them things, the best closure in baseball just doesn't have it on one night. And your season's over. It's, it's kind of crazy. I hate the wild card game. Um, I mean, I enjoy watching it. I enjoy the theater of it. But uh, just the idea of a one-game playoff to me is, is kind of I wish it were two or three, just like a regular, normal, regular season series. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that, but I also wouldn't just mind that, like, don't do, like, the wild card is a wild, like, Washington should have just been in to me. Oh, I don't, no, I, I disagree a little there. I like two wild card teams because, one, I don't like the idea, particularly in the American League. Like, I think Tampa and Oakland at 96 and 90 whatever wins should have a shot to get in, like, the real playoffs. Like, well, I think, what about Cleveland at 95 wins or whatever? Yeah, I, I know. I mean, that, that there are years where that's tough, but I'd rather one of them get in than two of them be left out, if that makes sense. I mean, if you – if like, I, I just don't know what you're – I know baseball changes. I know this is a hard argument to make. I don't really know what you're like rewarding in baseball in particular if the Rays win 90-something games back-to-back years and don't really sniff the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I get, I get your point. But I, and I, my, I guess my thing would be is it'd be really, really hard to do a two of three series uh, with Tampa Bay and Oakland and then make one of them go to Houston. And I just 
one game is not fair at all. Uh, that's that's not how baseball is meant to be played. And you put so much emphasis now on nine innings, where you played 162 games uh, to get to those nine innings. It just kind of seems, you know, anti-baseball to me. Yeah, I don't really mind the fairness aspect though from the wild card perspective because you're saying play two out of three and make them go play Houston. Like, then don't be in the wild card would be kind of my well, retort. Well, okay, that. but like. Oakland won 98 games or whatever and couldn't catch Houston. Like, for mean, the second consecutive year. Done. For the second consecutive year that happened. Yeah, well, it's like, it, I mean, Houston's a generational talent. Like, I just, man, I, generational I, talent. It's not exactly easy. I'd like to see both wildcard series go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then maybe give them both an off day or two and don't start the playoffs till Thursday, like Friday or Saturday. Because it's not like they're pressed for time, really. I get what you're saying, but okay, let's let's just play that out a little bit. We're gonna do Oakland at, at Tampa Bay at Oakland on Monday, Oakland at Tampa Bay on Tuesday, and then we're going back to Oakland on Wednesday. Yeah. Well. <laughs> okay. That's a lot of traveling, my man. So, I mean, still, so there's not like they're not used to it in baseball. I mean, hell, you've had. To, I watched the Braves earlier go play one game at Colorado, two games in across the border in Toronto and then go to like Seattle or something as part of one of their interleague deals. Like it's not like they're not used to it. I think two out of three would be more fair. I don't think playing one potentially two extra games in that series is not like I don't, I don't think that's that hard to squeeze in. Why not okay, I think if it, I wouldn't mind two out of three, but I, I wouldn't change like location. Like wherever the host is. Okay, then that's like, no, 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 no. Okay, I, I, okay, I, I wasn't listening to what you're saying then. No, I would 100 percent play the two out of three series at one site. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that would be my that would be my. I thought you were talking about the travel for the DS. No, no, I, I'm with you there. I'm not like I'm not going Oakland, Tampa, Oakland. Yeah, that would be a little harsh. No, yeah, but I would like to see two out of three. It makes more sense. You get to three starters potentially. Like I don't. Know. Anyway. That's enough of arguing about the Washington though now because you're taking your number three in there and facing Ryu on Thursday and you're throwing your number four against Kershaw. So yeah, luck. but what Washington is probably going Corbin. Yeah, they've already announced Cor- Corbin's yeah. going game one, and I highly doubt Scherzer or Strasburg can go game two. At the same time, though, it's baseball. You let Corbin go in there and throw seven shutout innings, you get to the pin. Okay, like yeah, yeah. It's not, I mean, I get Ryu's good, but it's not unheard of. Like any, like it's not like. It's not like the Clippers going into game one in Golden State and just being like, all right, play hard. Like, it's it's a little more realistic than that. Anyway, I don't know. That game was cool last night. I thought Scherzer struggled early. Um, you mentioned the Brewers' plan. I mean, as far as – I'm not even talking about strategy, like a pitching – like going to pitchers. As far as the way they drew up the pitching architectural plan, it went about as well as possible. Uh, Mississippi was represented well. Brandon Woodruff. Yeah. Uh, pitched re- four really good innings. That's about all they could ask out of him. They went to Suter for two, I believe. Then they went to Suter Pom- for one, and Suter- then Palm for two. Okay, I'm, I'm about to say I had too many innings there. Pomerantz goes six up, six down. Um, that'll earn him a. I mean, not, he was probably already getting one anyway because he throws ninety eight with his left hand. But like, that'll earn him a little swifter contract, I would think, going into next season. Like, if that's people's last memory of Pomerantz, he probably is a pretty good reliever somewhere next yeah. year. Going to the bullpen saved his career. He's only thirty. Well, and yeah. going to the bullpen for starters in this day and age in baseball has saved many a career. Um, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the way it works. Unless you're a top echelon starter, when you hit 30, 29, 30, and you don't have it anymore, see if you can eke out, what, three, four, five more seasons out of the pen is kind of how your pitching career kind of goes. Yeah. Well, he would never hit 98 out of uh, 
out of, out of a starting rotation. I mean, he was 92-93, and now he's maxed out. Got to beat. Scherzer struggled early. I didn't think for the like, I didn't think he pitched terribly for the most part, but he made I would say three or four really really bad mistakes, and then two of them got punished. Um, you know what was funny uh, about Scherzer in that first inning is I thought he struck old dude out to begin the game, Grisham. Yeah, and if he strikes him out, he doesn't just lob that fastball down the middle to Grand off. So it's funny how every call matters in, in October. Yeah, and that's kind of the the whole deal with with playoff baseball and that. That being the case, anyway, fast forward. You get to the ninth inning or eighth inning, excuse me. Yeah. Little sound malfunction there. Um, and you get to the eighth. You mean you get to the eighth inning there? Uh, I mean you you went to your best guy. Like you set up. You were you needed you needed Hater to get six outs, and he just really didn't have it. And yeah. you can tell that he was honestly very fortunate to get the two guys out. He got out. Before the two guys got on base, or I think one guy got on base, the one out. You get my point. He was very fortunate to be two on two out as opposed to worse. You had the controversial hit by pitch. You know, a lot of people are going to not blame the rookie outfielder, but a lot of people are going to be hung up on that moment. Like, to me, more so, the story was that Milwaukee did everything they could, went to their best guy, and he just didn't have it because there was no guarantee he was getting out of that inning. Exactly. That was that was my thing. Like, what makes you think that Hader was going to get another out that inning? Um, I will say, I thought the the pitch location and the sequencing to Juan Soto was atrocious. Uh, I don't think you can challenge him 1-1 there. If you walk Juan Soto, there's still two outs. That's not the worst thing in the world. It's a 3-2 game, and you're going after a much inferior hitter. Uh, I thought I thought challenging him there was, was a little bit, uh, I don't want to say asinine, but I, I sure wouldn't have done it. If I walked him, I walked him. I, I'd have to... Somebody else would have had to beat me at that point. Yeah, and so it, uh, Soto gets the hit. Pretty cool moment there. That's kind of what draws people into playoff baseball. The stadium goes nuts. Everyone's soaked in beer. Like, for a place that was Owen, that was the first elimination game Washington's won since they moved from yeah. Montreal to Washington. Um, I hope I don't think they'll get out of the DS. It would be kind of a cool story to see them get out after they move on from their generational talent, Bryce Harper. Uh, that would be kind of cool to see. Um, you know, I would like to see Ryan Zimmerman actually get a deep postseason run because I'm not sure how many he has left. Um, but yeah, cool moment there. I thought that's really what the game came down to was Hater just didn't really have it. And Washington, after a bad start, I know Scherzer's like supposed to be better than he was, but hanging in there and not letting that completely melt down was good. And then, of course, Strasburg was terrific. So they're off to. Los Angeles LA. on, I can't remember if it's Thursday or Friday. Thursday night. Okay, and so then you've got Oakland and Tampa tonight. I tend to favor Oakland, but I think Tampa has the pitching edge with Charlie Morton against Manaya. Um, because I, I just, you give me one game, I'm probably taking Charlie Morton over him. Um, I think that the Vegas line reflects that because, you know, Tampa's barely an underdog. Um, yeah. So I don't know. That should be another fun one. Um, and I'm glad playoff baseball's back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be a wild one because there's not many like you look. The Dodgers and, and Houston are better than probably everybody, um, but in saying that, like it's not that big of a like. You tell me, Oakland wins this game and then goes in there and gets Houston fifth. I'm not shocked. Um, so there's not like that dominant team like the Red Sox were last year. Yeah, because the Dodgers were the dominant team in the National League and really just couldn't hold a candle to. To Boston, they were so far and ahead of everyone else. I will say this: I don't think 
the Dodgers can lose a seven game series to the to the Braves or the Cardinals. I think if they're gonna get beat before the World Series, it's this series. I would agree with that as well, just because of Washington's frontline pitching. Because you mentioned they had to burn Strasburg and Scherzer, but presumably you're going to get to both of them at some point, barring a sweep. Yeah, and I think if it got to that point anyway, I think you'd see them. But anyway, so should be fun. Um, we got some football. We've got some basketball to get to as well. Uh, I don't really know where to start. I guess I'll start with football because we had a bit of a moment last night. Kadir Shepard did some talking. He's my favorite player on the team. If I have a kid, I'll probably name him Kadir. Um, Better enjoyed that conversation. Yeah, I have no rooting interest in this football team, but like, if, if you're just rooting for a kid in life, Kadir Shepard, that is my boy. Um, so <laughs> he comes in. So, of course, we request. We see nothing in practice. We didn't see any of the quarterbacks throw. Um, we request both quarterbacks and an offensive coach for it, and we get Royce Newman, Kadir Shepard, Tyrone Nix, and Jack Bicknell Jr., um, are the well, who was made available to the media? Apparently, we're already heading into the adversarial us against the world crap because apparently the media is the enemy. Um, oh, oh, we're doing that already. Oh yeah, no, it started last week. We didn't get Plumley last week, which is the literally only storyline that mattered. Kind of the same thing this week. We're not getting any of them. John Rice Plumley, very well spoken kid, very articulate, smart kid. Matt Corral, in his own right, is probably not as well spoken as far as to the media as. John Rice Plumley, but you're splitting hairs. Like, Matt Corral is still very good, um, in my opinion. Sometimes he gets a little lost in his thoughts. But, like, I, I think he's still very good. My point being is, like, you're not worried about either one of them, and yet, you know, widespread paranoia and that types of things. It's really frustrating from a media standpoint. I don't complain about access. I don't really complain about a whole lot of stuff. Because if you don't want us in your practice, that's fine. Then don't let us in your practice. I have no problem with that. For the most part, I don't have a problem with anything else. But there's one storyline that matters this weekend. You're going to roll that crop of players and coaches out there. Like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, but that's what are you gaining by that? 2019. I mean, Plumley might tell you the entire playbook that they're going to run against Vanderbilt. Kadir Shepard did. Do what? Kadir Shepard did that. <laughs> That's why you're not going to get him ever again. Uh, you keep saying that, so I'll get into this in a second. But I don't know. That's it's just very annoying to me because you're. I don't care if I make anyone mad. I'm just going to say it. They're in a position where they should be hoping for any positive media coverage around this team that is largely very uninteresting. They hadn't even had. I mean, they've got losses coming. You would think. Like, what good does this do? Like, show like you want if you want the fan base to get behind Plumlee or you want them to get behind Corral. Like, let them talk. Like, expose them. Like. Because, you know, shielding Laramie Tunzel for the media worked out so well for everybody involved. Yeah, that looks like a crock of shit now because he's really good with the media in the NFL. Yeah, no kidding. Shocker. So, I don't get it. It's annoying. But, anyway, it is what it is. For the most part, we haven't had much to complain about. Everybody's been very good as far as everything regards that. That just kind of annoyed me, and that's going to be my two-minute complaint, and that's the end of it. I don't have any real problems with it. but you Can know. we have a segment where you just complain about something every Wednesday? We can. I, I really, as far as like my job and like as media access, I don't have a lot to complain about. Like They <laughs> treat us very well for the most part. That just really annoyed me, so that was my two-minute complaining segment. Anyway, we get Kadir Shepard, and I'm sure I've told these stories on the podcast before. But just to rejog like people's memory, uh, Kadir Shepard is an electric interview. Like I don't really know what it is about him. He's got the same tone and the same face every single time. He's a kid from the Bronx, so he's got this thick Bronx accent. And basically, like the first time we talked to him in the fall of 2017, 
He was asked why he left. Uh, he was he was asked why he transferred from Syracuse, and I believe he said something to the effect of partying and getting in trouble. And then he was asked uh, if it was hard to sit out and watch the team go five and seven in 2016 while he was sitting out due to the transfer rule. And he said, "I think at Syracuse we only won two, so I thought five was pretty good." Um, <laughs> and then last year we got him after the Arkansas game. And he got asked about, like, a busted assignment or something, and he basically said, yeah, I turned around and I effed up. So, anyway, he comes in last night, and he starts talking. He's a good interview. Like, I'm not trying to, like, poke fun at the kid. I really enjoy him. I think it's refreshing. He's very honest. Like, I really enjoy talking to him. But he, <laughs> we get a couple questions in, and they're talking about a pass rush, and he goes, we're going to do a lot of combo stuff against Vanderbilt. Oh, I wasn't supposed to tell you all that. And then... And then, like, everyone starts laughing, and Parrish offered, I think it was, just kind of jokingly was like, who's going to start at quarterback? And he goes, my man, John Rice. So, <laughs> so, so Kadir Shepard announced John Rice probably as the starting quarterback last night. Surely it was a joke, though, right? Like, I, I, I think. I, I, don't, I, I think it's probably a joke. I, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, they're treating – I guess we can use this as a decent segue into it. They're treating this very tight lip. They're treating it like very much like an open quarterback situation. I don't know if you saw, but Derek Mason thinks it's going to be John Rice Plumley. Really? Yeah, so I I hate to credit Saturday Down South of all aggregation sites here, but it did pop up my Twitter feed that somebody from Saturday Down South, I'm sure, took quotes from someone else without permission about how Derek Mason said that he thought it would be predominantly John Rice Plumley because he thought what he saw from Alabama was electric. And he said, I don't know how you don't use that kid. And while I think Derek Mason is right in the sense that I don't know how you don't use that kid, I actually still think Corral's going to start. And maybe yeah, I'm too. misguided. I'm going to continue to kind of poke around there, see what I can figure out. But this is completely an opinion, no sourcing at all. I I, 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 would, I would start Corral, and I, I would be surprised if they didn't and use Plumlee in packages. That's kind of the gist I got from listening to them Monday, but... At the same time, I don't necessarily put much stock in what Shepard said, but, like, why did he say it? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fair point to wonder why he said it. I think Matt Corral starts Saturday, and, and let me say this. I don't. I think if Matt Corral doesn't start, I don't think it's because of injury. I think it's because they choose to go with Plumlee. Um, oh, no, no, Matt no, you're Corral right. You're healthy, just, to be start, healthy enough to be the starting quarterback on Saturday. Yeah, not we'll to interject real quick, but he was just a clip to, to – to underscore your point, he's back at practice. It's no longer a health thing, I don't think, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. If, if they want to go with Plumley, they're not going to be able to hide behind an injury at this point. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And so I, that's probably I buried the lead a little bit there. Matt Corral was back at practice yesterday. Um, didn't seem to be limited, but again, you know, it was a striking coincidence that really the only thing the media saw yesterday was punt cover. Um, we saw a play called Red 32 a lot, so be on the lookout on punt cover for red 32 so hopefully that's uh that's one you know where they block the people coming in to attack the punter well you say that actually there was a they called red 32 and the second time they yelled it across the microphone so my man yesterday at practice i think it was Koontz, the inside linebackers coach had a whistle keyed up to a microphone and was yelling into the microphone it was very loud and very unpleasant but that's nice that's yeah, nice. Maybe that will get them to block on punt coverage. It it, it it definitely hurt my hearing, but they yelled red 32, and then the second one, they got a block. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know what to make of that. Anyway. We haven't talked enough about how just bad Ole Miss's special teams are right now. 
We talked about it a little bit on the radio show Wednesday, and the only reason I say that is to say his state has sucked at it too. Like the the, the, the state of special the the current state of special teams in the state of Mississippi suboptimal, not very good. Well, Mike Brown kicked the crap out of it. Ole Miss just doesn't go down there and tackle anybody. Yeah, their punt cover's not very good. Um, obviously, you saw the block last weekend. Um, Mac Brown kind of had a tough game. He, yeah, he, he's a well, personal foul machine. He's a personal foul machine. He's a tackling machine. Hell yeah, he made a tackle. He got a tripping penalty. Three weeks ago, he got an illegal block below the waist on a punt he was covering. Oh, Mac Brown taking out people's knees. Uh, Mac Brown, very entertaining interview. Awesome dude. I just kind of like poking fun at the situation. Um, I love that he made a tackle, though. Like, he's very aggressive, which is kind of fun from a punter. I'm sure Pat McAfee's going to love that on Thanksgiving night. Anyway. Yeah. Don't, don't be the, uh, you know, the Penn State guy got knocked out. Don't do that. Yeah, you want to knock someone out. Like, uh, uh, and Matt Bosher, the guy for the Falcons last year, uh, knocked the hell out of someone on a kickoff cover. I can't remember who it was, but anyway. Yeah, not good. Oh, I'm, I'm so ready for a punter to get a targeting penalty. That that'll be my ultimate dream. If you're looking across the country, look no further than Mac Brown. Like he would <laughs> seem to be the prime candidate to get it. Um. So anyway, we got off on kind of a tangent there. I'm interested to see the quarterback thing because the more and more we kind of get into it, it seems like this actually is like a very open deal, and I'm not necessarily surprised by that. But. I don't put much stock in what Shepard said. Everyone started laughing. I think he was somewhat joking, but there might be a reason he said it, too. I wouldn't completely discount it. But, again, I would be surprised if Corral didn't start. Um, yeah, I would be, too. Um, I guess it wouldn't I, be a I, stunning thing. I don't thing. think they're ready. Because I think if you don't start Corral, you, you send him a message. Mentally the that ship sailed. Kind of, do what? If you don't start in the ship sailed. Yeah, that's kind of my thing. Are you really ready to give up on this kid five games? And look, he's got his flaws. Let's not sit there and pretend like he doesn't have issues and has played over, over, overwhelmingly well. Uh, but I don't think you're at a point where you want to give up on him and give the keys to John Rice Plumley either. So I think it would be, frankly, a little bit foolish not to start Matt Crowell on Saturday, assuming health. Yeah, because you have to be able to throw the football in major college football and, look, I know Ole Miss, uh, we covered this into the ground on Monday. Ole Miss doesn't have a very good downfield threat at receiver. Mingo's kind of figuring some things out. I thought that was a very positive sign for that team on Monday, uh, as we talked about on Monday. But, and Alabama secondary really good. But at the same time, John Rice Pumley is very limited throwing the football. He went 10-28 to for a reason. And I, don't, I really don't mean this to knock the kid, but there is a reason other schools were recruiting him as a slot receiver and a safety. Yeah, you know, look, it was his first start against Alabama. Um, we'll see from a passing perspective. I do think there's some concern there uh, that, that he's able to make those, those tight passes you have to in the SEC. Uh, I think the more better or a better litmus test will be this weekend. Uh, if he's able to throw the football on Vanderbilt's defense, if he gets that opportunity. Um, but I, I do think there's some, some fair war fair concern there over if he's able to make throws at this level. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's 100%. It's a small sample size. This week will be a bigger litmus test for this team in general. The secondary, how much they've improved, how much the offense has actually improved. Like, that'll be a bigger that'll be a bigger kind of gauge this week. Because last week it's hard to gauge anything. Because the score was out of hand. Alabama's very good. All of that obvious stuff. So, 
I don't know, man. I, I, if, if I guess, like, if if Plumlee runs out there for the first series and starts the game, I guess I wouldn't be totally shocked, but I'd definitely be surprised. I've been closer to shock, um, just because I don't think they're ready to move on from Matt Corral. And frankly, I think it'd be a little bit foolish to do so. Again, I keep going back to why did Shepard say that then? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I guess that's fair, but I, I don't know if they know who's going to start at quarterback on a Tuesday. Uh, you know, so I think there's got to be a little more, little more to this week before they're ready to announce the starter too. So, yeah. So anyway, um, as far as football, to be completely honest, there isn't a whole lot. Um, there isn't a whole lot of else to dive into. I mean, we, we kind of covered a lot of it on Monday. The biggest thing for Ole Miss this week, I think, from a defensive perspective is how do you make Riley Neal look? He's not very – he hasn't put out very good numbers. He's got a decent enough arm from the very little I've seen. He's got some weapons in Lipscomb, the wide receiver, and Pinkney, the tight end. And then, of course, he's got a really good running back in Keyshawn Vaughn. But, again, as I kind of said the other night, like, does Ole Miss make Riley Neal look like Chase Garbers? If they do, they – Saturday is not going to go well for them, and they're not going to compete in very many games going forward. I would say hardly any games. But if you can make the perceived limited quarterback look pedestrian, then you're going to have a chance to win some games going forward. But, like, the secondary has to get better for this team to win multiple SEC games going down the stretch, I guess would be kind of the bottom line way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. If this secondary isn't getting better, then... Uh, frankly, I don't think they win another SEC game after this weekend. I think they win this weekend. I think they, frankly, win by maybe more than a touchdown. Um, but I think it's going to be extremely tough if this secondary doesn't get it remarkably better over the next few weeks uh, to win another SEC game. And look, I, I think I think them winning another SEC game um, after this weekend is more likely than we thought it was two weeks ago. I think uh, Texas A&M is certainly vulnerable. I think Mississippi State is certainly vulnerable. And I don't think you're going to be a massive underdog at Missouri. But that all hinges on this secondary getting better. Because if it doesn't, I, I don't really see them competing in, in those three games. Yeah. Yeah, so, if, like, does the kid go in there and set four career highs like Garbers did? Because if so, like Ole Miss is in big trouble. Um, and they just haven't gotten the level of production from guys – that like the Jalen Joneses of the world, you've got Keedron Smith who is in a no contact jersey at practice yesterday dealing with the shoulder thing. Miles Hartsfield has really struggled to start the year. Jalen Julius has played all right, but they've got a one or two things happen. These younger guys have to grow up pretty quick, or you have to get better production from these older guys than you've been getting. But either way, Ole Miss has got to be better in the secondary than it's been. Yeah, if they're not better in the secondary over the course of the next six games or seven games, whatever it is. It's going to be a long six, or it's going to be a long seven games. So, uh, I think they do get better. They play a bunch of young kids back there. Those tend to, you know, usually get better. I think. I don't think athleticism is the issue. So that's that's always a positive. I think they'll get better. I think they'll figure it out. But uh, it's going to be a learning curve, and and they're going to have to get better if, if they're trying to get to a bowl game as, as long as those odds are. Yeah, I mean that's really going to be the difference because the offense appears to be proving and kind of morphing into. I and mean, we had Cole Kublick on our radio show yesterday. And he was saying that he thinks the Ole Miss's offense could be fairly dangerous for other teams by the end of the season. I don't know if I necessarily think it'll click to that point to dub it dangerous, but it, it's it's rounding into competency and becoming like a formidable offense. Um, I mean, you're getting better production from some of the receivers, kind of 
Uh, Mingo's kind of figuring it out a little bit. Like you've got kind of the Plumlee de- um, element to the offense now in addition to Corral. Assuming Corral kind of completes passes at the same rate he's been completing and cleans up a little bit of the accuracy issues. But it's really going to rest upon the defense because if they continue to get torched through the air, like the, the, the perceived kind of winnable games against Missouri, A&M and State are no longer winnable, I don't think, at that juncture. Yeah, you can't you can't play poorly uh, in the secondary in those football games and, and expect to come out with a win in Starville or in Columbia or at home against against A and M. I mean, is, is down as A and M, we probably think is compared to what we thought they would be. Jimbo's a heck of a football coach. If your secondary is not formidable enough to, to you know hold up against the pass, then he's going to take advantage of that. You're probably going to lose that football game. So I think that's the biggest key to this season. The rest of the season is seeing how those guys play. I, I thought initially it would be the offensive line. I think those guys have gelled into a pretty okay unit. Uh, it's uh, pretty much all eyes on the secondary at this point. Uh, yeah, one thing I really omitted on Monday, and it just kind of got lost in all the quarterback uh, storyline, I guess would be the best way to describe it, is the offensive line played, a, I thought, a, a decent bit better against Alabama. Um, they went to a seven-man rotation. Jalen Cunningham, who played a little bit against Cal, um, played by far and away his most snaps of the year. I think he played 43 snaps at Alabama. Um, that helps going forward. That helps with the depth if he can be competent. Um, Jack Bicknell Jr. talked a lot about that yesterday, about Cunningham's performance, and basically just citing that like he's like, look, the kid's so big that he doesn't have to be techni- technically perfect and from a, like his, his skill set standpoint or, or technique standpoint, I guess would be a better way to put it. But he just, I mean, he just, he wasn't there. Like, he basically, he said he's climbing the ladder. Like, at the start of fall camp, he wasn't close to ready to play. Kind of got closer and closer. Saw a little bit of action against Cal and then played 43 snaps against Alabama last week. So, if Cunningham can continue to come in there and provide good snaps and provide depth and they get to that seven-man rotation, that's going to help them a lot. But I think that offensive line is improving and is evolving. You figured it would take time. But at the same time, I would say three weeks ago, I'm not sure I thought, like, I didn't think Cunningham would be ready. I didn't think they could go to Chandler to it, which they obviously haven't yet. Like, I I just didn't believe either one of those guys or out of that group of three or four guys would be able to kind of provide enough of a role for Ole Miss to be any better on the offensive line. Obviously, that uh, seemed to be being proved wrong by Cunningham in that regard. So if they can get to the seven-man rotation consistently, I think that's going to help them. That kind of got overlooked Saturday that the offensive line played pretty well. Yeah, no. The offensive line's getting better and better. Um, they were they were they were horrible against Memphis, and I think from then then on they progressed into you know what they are now. Do they play well against enough against California? No, probably not. Um, but I do think they were better against Cal than they were against Memphis. And if the goal is to get better every week, I think they've certainly done that. Um, so I, I, that that's no longer if you're an Ole Miss fan to me, that's no longer the major concern on this team. Um, I think you know obviously it, it's probably second. But, but the secondary is what you're looking at uh, if, if, you know, you're, if you're listing concerns on this football team. Yeah, so uh, I was going to have a Vanderbilt guy on the show today. He didn't really respond to my email until as we were recording the show. So I will, um, I will, um, I will probably do that Thursday. I'll probably just do it by myself on Thursday and uh, – I say do it by myself. I, I meant, I will probably just do it separate from a show. Like, I'm not going to add it into Mailbag Friday is what I meant. It'll be a standalone podcast by itself. So I'll do a quick 20-minute hit with Adam Sparks. He covers um, he covers Vanderbilt for the Tennessee. And Vanderbilt's media contingent is very small, so it was kind of hard to find people to come on. 
So I guess we're lucky that he responded at all. So we'll have that for you Thursday. Be on the lookout. It will not be a normal podcast. It will not be very long. It'll be 15, 20 minutes. There's not a whole lot to preview with regards to Vanderbilt either because they're not very good. Um, and, you know, and a lot of rights Ole Miss isn't really either. So um, this is really – to me this week is really more about Ole Miss and kind of gauging how much they've improved more so than it is Vanderbilt. The only thing really that will be interesting to me about Vanderbilt is if the Raleigh Neal kid is able to have success in the passing game and how Ole Miss fares against Keyshawn Vaughn, because Ole Miss has been a pretty good run defense for really the entire year. I don't think it'll be any different with Vaughn, although it could end up being a little bit different if Vanderbilt is able to throw the pass, throw, go through the air more successfully and consistently and keep Ole Miss off balance. But if Ole Miss makes them one-dimensional, I don't think Vaughn can beat them by themselves with the way they performed in the running game. No, no, I don't I don't think he's going to be able to beat them by themselves, by himself, like you said, if they're not able to throw the football with great consistency. Um, I think that's the key to beating Ole Miss at this point. So, uh, no, I think Ole Miss, without, you know, Raleigh Neal stretching the, uh, the field making plays, is going to be able to shut down Keyshawn Vaughn. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that as well. So, uh, that's really, I mean, is there anything I'm missing as far as football storylines? I, I, I don't think I have. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I think we just about covered it. We'll kind of wrap up Vanderbilt uh, preparation. I mean, we'll kind of wrap up Vanderbilt talk on Friday with regards to Mailback Friday, but that's kind of all I had football-wise. Yeah, so moving on to, we've got some basketball news. Kermit Davis and Ole Miss had media day on Monday, I guess it was. Bree and Tyree, Devontae Shuler were made available to the media. The big, I guess, news story coming out of that was Blake Henson has a, what they're dubbing, a blood abnormality. Um, this was something I was tipped off on, I would say, about a month ago, I think, and kind of heard rumblings of it. I think I was not the only one. There were a few of us that knew about it. But, I mean, you know, it's – the way I would describe it is there's a difference in a kid having a pulled hamstring, torn ACL or something like that, and something as – like as the, of what seemed like a fairly serious medical issue. So, you know, just kind of respect for the privacy and all that. Not really per- – didn't really pursue that much further. Didn't really put it out there or anything. But point being, um, they didn't want to go really into further details other than he went home in August and his father is a basketball coach. So he went home to Florida, I believe, and started doing workouts and then was not really feeling well. They ran some blood tests and basically Kermit Davis dubbed it as a few came back abnormal. Uh, so it was originally I think they thought was going to be very serious but now the prognosis seems to be much better um, Kermit Davis said he wakes doing much better his blood like updated blood work has been encouraging and improved and they think they'll have him back in the next two to three weeks and they they are very hopeful he'll be back for the start of the season which is a better prognosis than I think they originally had probably thought yep and and uh, first of all you know God be to the kid that uh that's a tough situation, and, and like you said, I, I'm sure they initially thought it was going to be much worse than it, than it prob- probably will be. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that that's big for Ole Miss, um, you know. And I hate to make this about basketball because it's it, it, like Henson's more important than Ole Miss basketball. But um, you know that, that this team was going to rely on him. He's a big, he's a key cog in this team, and if Ole Miss didn't have him, uh, oof, uh, that, that was that would be a tremendous loss for this basketball team. Yeah, it would, and it's a guy along with K.J. Buffin and Luis Rodriguez they're expecting to make a next step this year. And I think I said this on this podcast before. This I, this summer I'd been hearing that if if Rodriguez 
Rodriguez was the one guy Kermit kind of and the really people around that program had kind of uh, really kind of tooted his horn with regards to how he's reshaped his body and how he's kind of elevated his game a little bit as a pretty athletic wing guy that can rebound. But Kermit just came out and said it yesterday. If they started the season today, Luis Rodriguez would be a starter. Um, so I thought that was interesting. But, yeah, this is uh, the general impressions I had from just kind of watching practice, a little bit of practice on, on Monday was, and Neil pointed this out to me. I was kind of like thinking, I didn't really know how to articulate it into words, but I was kind of looking around. I was like, man, these dudes just look different. And then Neil kind of looked at me and was like, it's kind of incredible how he's reshaped the roster physically in a single year. And I think that really kind of sums it up very well because they look like a much different basketball team than they did a year ago, just physically. I mean, it's a lot lot more longer, athletic guys. I mean, not to poke fun at Ole Miss or anything, like from last year, but they were a bit of an odd-looking team. Like, you kind of had 5'10", 5'11", or whatever it was, D.C. Davis, like Dom, back-to-the-basket, 7-footer, and then Bruce and a couple guards, like... They look much more like Kermit Davis basketball team, I think, would want to look at this point. So, and, and he's going to continue to reshape the roster in the coming years. You know, they've only got, they really don't have a scholarship coming available next year because you would assume, um, well, depending on what Schuler does, but like you would assume that Jarkel Joyner is going to take Bree and Tyree scholarship. So, there's going to be some roster attrition because I think yeah, they're going to have to be because they're getting some commitment. Yeah, I think they want to add a couple. And so there's going to have to be, is my point. But he's going to continue to kind of shape the roster toward what he wants the team to look like. But they are definitely well on the way. Ole Miss basketball, like physically the way it looks from a year ago to this year is remarkable. And I think you're, that's going to reflect in how they play. I think they're going to play an almost irrecognizable brand of basketball and style from the did a year ago. Because, again, last year Kermit's hands were tied with that roster. Yeah, well, I mean, the roster couldn't defend. And that's kind of Kermit's uh, calling card. I mean, your best defender is probably, what, Schuler, and he's playing with a broke foot. Uh, Brian is, you know, subpar from a, from a defensive perspective, although I think he's getting better. Uh, Dom couldn't guard air. Bruce couldn't guard air. Um, so it was, it was a tough situation. He had to do a lot of things last year that, that he probably didn't want to do, um, and, and that's tough. Uh, and somehow still got this team to the NCAA tournament. So. I think you're right. I think this team's going to, to have a, a Kermit Davis mentality. I think they're going to play defense at a high level and, and you know, turn their offense off of their defense. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think, you know, KJ Buffins added, I think, 20 to 25 good pounds of muscle. Um, I'm fascinated by him because I thought he was an extremely good defender last year. Uh, the, the kind of rumor central is that he's able to shoot the ball at a better level. If that's the case, then then they really got something there. So this, this team's got a bunch of storylines, I guess, going into the season, um, frankly, because of just how talented they are. It's one of the more talented basketball teams they've had here in a long time. Yeah, they'll probably defend better. The issue last year, more so than anything, was like you had a couple of smaller more like, smaller guards. Like Terrence Davis is very inconsistent defensively. Like Dom was a fairly good rim protector, but the way Kermit Davis plays basketball, he doesn't really have any use to a basket, the back-to-the-basket seven-foot center that doesn't really rebound and kind of protects the, 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 not just the paint, but kind of like the, what I'm blanking on the arc or the circle or whatever. Yeah, the cylinder. Yeah, the cylinder or the, the charge, whatever. But point being is like, like he didn't really have a whole lot of use for that. And so now he's got kind of like the, he's got more guys that are kind of like, like Buffins added, I would think, I think about 20 to 25 pounds. I think he was at 185, 195, and now he's at 215, 220. 
Um, he looks a lot stronger. You could tell, um, you know, Henson's gotten a little bit stronger. Um, so I, it, they're going to have more guys. Like, it's going to be more interchangeable stuff, like parts. You're going to have a guard or two on the floor at one time, and then three or four guys that can kind of play anywhere two through four. And then your five is going to kind of be Carlos Curry or someone in that matter. But they could go small. They're going to have more versatility in lineups, I guess, would be kind of the way I would describe it. Because last year you didn't really have a whole lot with regards to what you could do. Because K.J. Buffin, they could stick him in the post for a little bit at 6-7. You've got Hadim C., who's a, a, a much more versatile post player than they had a year ago. Um, kind of, I mean, Sean Robinson is going to redshirt. Um, but you got you've got Antavian Column, you've got Sammy Hunter, uh, kind of more versatile guys on the wing and in the post, and that starts with Luis Rodriguez as well. He's going to be a really interesting six six wing piece. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I think this is the first time an Ole Miss team that anybody you mention on that team on scholarship, I feel like can give you something. Um, that's not always been the case. I feel like pretty much one through eleven here can give you at least something in a competitive SEC game. Yeah, and I think that the, the a way to further articulate that would be is one, you're right in the sense that most guys like they have the ability to go ten, eleven, maybe even twelve deep. They won't do that. I think he'll trim down the rotation because it's just when you get into an SEC season, it's just kind of hard to play that many dudes. Um, but the ability, having the ability to get Sean Robinson in the program and redshirt a player of that caliber, probably speaks more so to the depth of the program than anything else. Because in years past, if Ole Miss gets a kid that talented in the program, he's playing and becoming a focal point immediately, and they wouldn't have had the luxury to redshirt him. So I think if you're looking for an indicator to just how deep Ole Miss is, they get Sean Robinson in, and he's going to sit out. (laughs) Um, Do you think there's any scenario where that redshirt comes off? No, other than like, I mean, there's, there's always ways where you get three, four guys down with significant injuries that miss significant amounts of time, then maybe. But no, other than that, I don't think so. Because I think they kind of made that with him part of the plan immediately. They sat down with him and said, hey, this is what you're going to do. Like, you know, this is how this is going to go. Because Kermit pointed out on Monday, uh, Sean Robinson is 17 and turns 18 in May. So he would be a young freshman if he came into the program next year. He's going to be 17 for this entire basketball season. So I think he was very much open to this. I think it probably gets him out of the high school, like it gets him out of maybe the boredom of the high school ranks or whatever he would have done this year and kind of just lets him develop and kind of not really get his feet wet with regards to game action, but kind of prepare at a higher level and, and kind, of get, get, kind of get a front row seat to what he has to get prepared for. So, no, I don't think so outside of a barrage of injuries. I mean, of course, things could change. You could get depleted. I mean, I'm thinking Auburn 2017 or 2018, whatever you want to call it. 2018, I guess, injury-wise, maybe. But I think Ole Miss is deep enough to where that wouldn't be the case anyway. Yeah, so I, I just wondered if, from a production standpoint, if, if there was any chance they'd take it off of him. Pretty obvious answer is no. They're, they're going to they're redshirt the kid and, and, and let him be a freshman next year. Uh, but you're right. To, to have a kid like that on campus where you don't have to play him immediately is probably a sign for – uh, where your program's at, what you're trying to accomplish. and I think this team, look, I, I think this team's ceiling is, is a sweet 16. I think this team's floor should be, frankly, I don't think this team should miss the NCAA tournament. They may be an 11 or a 12 seed, but the, this team feels like one that should be in the tournament come March. Yeah, I would uh, I would definitely agree with that. Excuse me. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, with basketball, basketball is always an interesting sport because, I mean, you see it in the NBA, you see it in college, particularly every year now with the massive roster attrition that most major programs um, kind of undergo in a given year. You know, half the battle is getting the talent in there and getting the amount of players in the depth required to be to be good, but you've also got to make the team gel and you've got to make it work. So that would kind of be part two of this because there's plenty of talented teams in both college and professional basketball every year that it's a large collection of talent, but if it doesn't just gel, and then it, you know, at a certain point it's just not going to work. And so it would be interesting to see the first month of the year kind of how they – they glue this whole thing together and kind of how they whittle down their rotation to maybe nine, eight, nine guys. Maybe they'll go ten. I don't really know. I, I wouldn't necessarily foresee that, but they have the ability to. So the first month when they play the Butlers of the world, they play Memphis, kind of when they get in there and kind of see how how this is going to actually look on the floor this year because this is another part to this is they're going to play a much different style, as we mentioned, because they have the ability to. But much different style means also a new one. So how does that work and how does that look? I think by the end of the year they'll be pretty good. But again, the SEC is a beast. I mean, they were really good last year. The league was really good last year, and you added Buzz Williams, Nate Oates, and Eric Musselman. Yeah, um, the, the SEC is, is not the place for uh, the faint of heart. I think it's one of the better basketball leagues in the country now. Frankly, um, they've done a great job of, of getting these what was RPI, I guess referred to as net now. They make sure these teams have a good one of those. Uh, that their numbers make sense as far as getting into the tournament and helping other conference members get into the tournament. Um, so, yeah, I, I think with the opportunities this team has in front of them, you know, with the, the, the games in, I guess, Brooklyn and, and Butler, I, this team has every opportunity to, to set themselves up pretty decently when, uh, when March rolls around. Yeah, so it'll be, I don't know, it, it'll be fascinating to watch because I think as far as Ole Miss basketball this year, you're going to see an entirely different. You're going to see a different product as you saw last year, but you're going to like see a different level of buy-in. I think. I think you'll see more people at games consistently, particularly with the way football and baseball have gone. I think people around here, as far as the fan base, they seem very much starved for a winner, and fairly or unfairly, they kind of view this basketball program as really the only stable program trending in the right direction on campus, and that's probably not necessarily fair to Matt Luke in football, but you kind of get what my, my point. And so, I mean, it's going to be kind of interesting watching it night in and night out when you get into the SEC slate, watching them play in front of a full arena, and every game being a significant game. Yeah, that's what the SEC turned into. Uh, pretty much every every game you play is going to be a chance at a, at a win to put on your resume, uh, maybe outside of Vanderbilt. So, uh, it's it certainly, and maybe South Carolina, I don't think they'll be very good this year. But, yeah, outside of them, there's, there's a chance that, that every game you play is going to impact your, your seed line in March. The baseball schedule came out yesterday. Yeah, everybody's talking about how tough it is, and I just kind of looked at it, and I was like, it's an SEC schedule. Like, I don't get the, I see the, the toughness aspect of it. Well, it's drawing Florida, Georgia, and Vanderbilt out of the East and not getting Kentucky, Missouri, or Tennessee. Right, but you got those last year. Usually when you get teams, they, I mean, there's it's four on, three off. Uh, you're going to drop the teams you played last year. I kind of, I mean, I guess I was just expected it. That's how it works. But I, mean, I don't Florida remember the last time last they've year. gotten all three of those in one year, though. Do I? I don't remember the last time they've gotten all three of those in one year, though. Um... 
Yeah, I can't. I can't recall uh, that. But I mean, Georgia used to not be very good either. Uh, they just decided to be good recently, which is a crying shame. But alas. Yeah, that's fair too. But it's also who you start off in SEC play. Like if you can, because a lot of times Ole Miss gets in Alabama or like yeah. uh, someone mixed in in the first month. I mean, you go LSU at A and M in Arkansas to start the year. Like, woof. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's not the ideal scenario, but I mean, it is. Look, this team to me is it just kind of is what it is. I think they're either going to be if if Doug Nikhazy and Gunnar Hoglund are able to hunt handle Friday or Saturday and Friday and Saturday nights, I think this team's a back end host team. If they're not, I think they're a team that that screeches into the tournament by the skin of their teeth. So I don't necessarily know if the schedule to me is is what's going to you know impact this team. I think it's how does Gunnar Hogland handle Saturdays? And how does Doug McKenzie handle Friday? You tell me that, and I think I can tell you what the team's going to do. Yeah, probably. But at the same time, like, will the team hit? I don't know. At the and then what's interesting to me about like on paper, it's all. I mean, it's it, it's hard to deny that on paper it looks daunting with the way they start SEC play and the teams they drew from the East. And what's interesting to me is this is going to be a team with a lot of new faces and presumably a fairly young team. Mike Bianco's teams never suck. Like they never have bottomed out and gone nine and twenty one in SEC player eight and twenty two. Like they've always been somewhat in the mix. And if this team, as far as pitching, doesn't necessarily hold up, or they struggle, or kind of go through some twenty seventeen ish growing pains, the way this schedule is set up, it is going to be hard to kind of remain in that 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 non bottoming out threshold. I mean, yes, if if the pitching sucks and they don't hit, agreed, but. I look. I've got my criticisms of Mike Bianco. I'm betting he will find some dudes that can pitch it well enough to make sure that that these guys are in a regional come June. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I think they're. I, if I had to bet on it, they're probably a two or three seed in a regional. But like, if if they miss the tournament, like 17, that wouldn't necessarily surprise me either. I think that would surprise me just because. And, and hear me out on this. I think they did it a little bit differently. Yes, you're going to be relying on some freshmen. But I do think they were smart and, and, and systematic about bringing in JUCO guys like Kel Baker and Ben Leatherwood um, and that have those guys ready to go into the lineup. Whereas in 17, you were just pretty much counting on true freshmen from the beginning of the year. Sure, you need those guys to produce, though. Like, you don't need it to turn it. Like, Tim Rowe produced fairly well in 18, if I remember correctly, or maybe that was 17. It was 17, yeah. because yeah, he got kind of hurt at 18. And like you, you don't need a Chase Cockrell-type deal. Like, And then it's, Elko's got a hit as well at some point. That's kind of oh, the yeah. I mean, kicker with you, this whole look, deal. I need two people's stats from this year, and I can tell you how the season went. Give me Tim Elko's stat line and give me Gunnar Hogland's stat line, his pitching stat line. And I think I can give you a pretty good gauge on how this season goes. Yeah, so um, I admitted this earlier, but the podcast brought to you by LBs. I got to get better about doing this at the beginning. I got to start writing stuff down. Go see Greg off of um, University Avenue across from Kroger. Uh, Greg, go get you some steaks. Go get maybe some seafood. He's got all kinds of stuff. Sausages. um, Add some jalapeno poppers and some mushrooms to the mix. Did you ever end up going the other day? I did not. Well, I didn't. I thought I was going to Oxford on Monday and, and didn't didn't wind up making it to Oxford. Yeah, I ended up having to work fairly late and had to. I've, basically, when I said I was going to get it for the Monday night football game, I forgot there was basketball media day. So I was very disappointed about that. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I'll hit it up later in the week. Uh, but go see Greg. He's got all kinds of great stuff. Uh, it's grilling season. Make sure you're out in front of all that. 
Greg at LB's is definitely the place to go. University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see him. Um, he has the meats. What uh, what else do we have going on? I, I, let's see. Wednesday, Thursday night action. What do we have this week? Uh, we got Rams at Seahawks tomorrow night. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Thursday night football games are atrocious. Uh, the college games, I'm pretty sure. Let's see. Yeah, yeah, good God. Georgia Southern, uh, South Georgia Alabama. Southern at South Alabama and Temple at East Carolina. You got a decent one Friday night. Yeah, yeah. Cincinnati hosts UCF. Is that is that field picture of Cincinnati real? Did you see yes, that? Yes, it is real. I thought the same thing, and then I went look. It is real. It is actually real. Yep. Are you positive? I'm ninety nine point nine percent positive. Are you allowed to have a black field? I guess we're gonna find out. Yeah, I guess that's true. So I guess we could do the first part of the pick'em, which I guess is now we could spot which is sponsored by LBs. Um, so. I gotta start. I'm not picking Temple uh, ECU. It, go, it goes against my moral. Sorry, we got to because we got to do the Wednesday and Thursday games because the rest of them we're going to do on Friday in the LB's Pick'em. So this is part one of the LB's Pick'em. We got to get uh, part two, obviously, the main dish. Uh, so we're eating the jalapeno poppers and the mushrooms right now, and we're going to wait to grill the steak and the sausage on Friday's show. It's pretty Okay. Sick. All right. Well, fine. Uh, you're catching one and a half with the Rams at Seattle on Thursday night. Seattle's plus one and a half? No, Seattle's minus one and a half. Oh. I'm taking the Rams. I just I, I think the Rams have had some issues offensively. And I saw Seattle lose to Teddy Bridgewater, man. Yeah. But still, I mean, that so did the Cowboys, and the Cowboys have been really good. That Saints defense has been nasty the last two Yeah, weeks. but the, the, the Cowboys were at least in NOLA. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. But at the same time, I mean, they, the Rams just gave up 55 points to Jameis Winston. Yeah, but I kind of think the Bucks are better than people think, too. I think they Your are. They still go from 3-1. and one. I think they are offensively. I'm not sure about defensively. And, yeah, the, the, the Rams end up scoring a lot of points because of what happened later in the game. But that Rams offense has not performed through the first month of the season. I was listening to a podcast with a couple of film guys, and one of them had Greg Cosell on which is the NFL Films guy where he basically just buries himself all day, every day, and watches every single game over on the All-22. And he thinks the Rams have some serious issues offensively. I'll go Seattle here just to see if I can make up some ground. I think Russell Wilson's playing the best football he's ever played. Um, And I think that defense is figuring out a little bit. So I'll go Seattle here because I think that division's going to get weird if Seattle wins this thing. Because you've got oh, it absolutely is going to get weird. Because you've got San Francisco at three and zero, and I don't know who San Francisco plays this week. All right, all right. How many snaps of Georgia Southern and South Alabama football have you watched? Zero, but that's the fun of it. Okay, well Georgia Southern is laying ten on the road at South Alabama. Um, I'm taking my point with South Al. Yeah, whatever, South Alabama. One in three football team is minus ten on the road at a one in four football team. What a world! Uh, okay, and then the last one: Temple minus eleven at East Carolina. Isn't East Carolina kind of improved this year? Or did I make that up? I think I thought they were trash. I watched them some against Navy. Let's see, they're three and two. So yeah, they are. I'm going to take East Carolina. Because who the hell would want to bet on uh, East well, Carolina? What's the line? Minus uh, Temple minus eleven at at East Carolina. 
Temple minus eleven. Yep. Um. Who, who'd you take? Do what? Who'd you take? Uh, I'm taking Temple. Or I'm taking East Carolina. I'm sorry. Yeah, whatever. Two home dogs. I know nothing about either one of those games, so that should be fun. We'll count that up before we get into the Friday portion of the LB's Pick'em. Um, I think that's about all I've got today. Uh, yeah, so yeah, that, 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 that's both games for Friday in college and the NFL game. Yeah, so that's Thursday. We'll be back at it. Uh, I guess we'll do the we'll do the Friday and the weekend games. The uh, obviously on Friday as we always do. So, you got anything else from today? I mean, we've got, I guess, make your picks for tonight. We can throw, I mean, this doesn't have to count as a pick them, but A's and Rays. I'm taking the A's. I mean, God, I keep saying backwards what I want. I'm taking the Tampa Bay Rays. I said Oakland on the radio show on Tuesday, but I think I'm going to back, I think I'm going to flip-flop here. I I think I'm going to go Tampa Bay as well. I think, I just, I, I would give the upper hand to Charlie Morton here. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know. Uh, I think he's have, he's got that playoff experience. I think that somewhat matters. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the Rays, and I feel pretty good about it, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I think Chuck Morton. I think it would be fun to see him go back up against Houston because I know he has a really good relationship with most of those guys on that team. But I think there's part of him that I think it would be really fun to shove it against them in the DS. Dirty little secret: if uh, if Tampa Bay wins this. And they get one in Houston, and you got Charlie Morton going against Houston, the number three, who has not been good. I mean, I don't know who it is, but Pat Verlander and Cole, they've not been good. You're up 2-1 at the Trop, and it gets real. Yeah, and the Trop is a vaunted place to play. Yeah, you don't want to use home field advantage galore there. Although, I'll say, in the, I, I don't like indoor baseball stadiums at all, but the Blue Jays stadiums, and I haven't seen a playoff game at home in the Trop in a long time. But, like, there's something about indoor stadiums in the playoffs. It just feels louder. Yeah, no, that's fair. It feels more raucous. I don't really know why. I hate indoor baseball stadiums. I think that's stupid. But I uh, I, I think, I don't know. That would be cool to see. So, I would, whatever, I'll go Tampa. I'm intrigued. I don't know what it is, but Dodger Stadium in the playoffs always fascinates me. It just looks wild. Dodger Stadium is like a fairy tale. I went out there this summer and the entire place is just so pristine. It really does feel like you're walking up on Disney World or something. I don't really know how to describe it, but just the entire place, and maybe it's because we caught it on a perfect weather day, even though there are a ton of perfect weather days out there. It's incredible, and I don't really know how to describe it. It's just old enough to be historic and just new enough to be really cool. There's not a bad seat in the place. Like it's, it's. I know people say that about every stadium, but I, I don't know. I, it was just remarkable to me how cool that place was. Yeah, no, Dodger Stadium's always fascinating. It, it, it'll be rowdy on Thursday night there uh, with, with Corbin and Ryu and then Kirsch on Friday. So uh, it's the best time of the year, man. Yeah, it is. So that's about all I've got for today. Um, we'll be back at it on Friday. We'll have the, the really the meat of the LB's pick em. Nice little play on words there. Pretty sick. Not to brag, um, with the NFL games for the weekend, we will have the college games for the weekend. We kind of gave you the little... The little teaser there. We gave you the mush, the jalapeno poppers and the mushrooms. So you'll get the main course on Friday. Um, of course, it'll be Mailbag Friday. It's the people's holiday. Uh, send us your mailbag questions. Uh, send them to me or Colin on Twitter. Tweet me. Um, email me. Text me. Um, if you want my number, go find Bumble Guy. I really hope, I hope he's okay. Yeah, we're praying for you. Yeah, I hope he's out there somewhere. Um, oh, I forgot my last thing. So the intro... I emailed the man who's 
Hey, guess where he is now? Uh, well, he's in the Ukraine. So let me let me Slovakia. That feels right. Nope, South Korea. He sent an email huh? to my boss. Will said I had no plans, but the tickets were cheap, so I'm headed to Korea. Um, yeah, <laughs> we might need to have him on the show. <laughs> like, he said, does nope. this man like travel for work, or does he just travel for you know the hell of it? I think he can. I think he makes enough. I think basically what I've gathered is he makes enough money doing what he does for work that he and he does he can do work from wherever he is that he just kind of travels around for fun. So not a bad life. No, but we'll get an intro when we get our first thousand listen show. How about that? There you go. There you go. So the challenge is now on the people. We're I think the highest we've hit is eight ninety six. We're getting around there an episode. I mean, not to go too much inside baseball here, but if you can get us to a thousand listens on this on a show, we will have an intro on the very next show, even if I have to sing it myself. <laughs> Me and Brian will start singing to get an intro. Yeah. At that point. So tell your friends about this podcast. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Rate and review it. You can if you give me five stars, you can say whatever you want about us. Wait, and, can can we if we get a thousand, can we get you back in the George too? Yeah, that's fine. I'll go there. I'll do the podcast in George. I'll put a picture out, I guess, on the internet because obviously <laughs> this podcast is not like video recorded. So I'll do the podcast in George with an intro. If we get to a thousand listens, so tell your friends to listen about it. This is now on you. Though that's kind of how I've done things with this podcast. I didn't want to come up with content on Fridays in the summer, so I made you. And now we need you to get us an intro. So that's called next level thinking. That's right. That's called next level thinking. Next level content production. We're all a team here. The listeners are the tip of the spear. So that is your challenge. Rate and review. Thanks for listening. We'll be back at it on Friday. Go see my man Greg at LBs. Across from Kroger University Avenue, steaks, uh, seafood, sausage, whatever you want. He's got it if you want a custom cut. Greg's got the meats. Go to LB's. LB's is awesome. Um, excited about this partnership going forward. And we'll be back with the teeth of the LB's Pick'em on Friday. So for Colin Brister, I'm Brian Scott Ribby. We'll be back at it on Friday. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.